Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Brenda. Let me add my welcome to Pastor Brenda's. It's great to see you all here and online. I was loving the dancing we had earlier in the service, and uh, we, had, we were literally singing about dancing and dancing. So <clears throat> next time we do that, if you are feeling brave and you want to join Matthias and Joy up here, you go ahead and do that. I am probably not that brave, so... It's good to be here. We start the Kingdom Now series, which I am excited about. And today we talk about this upside-down blessing, the Beatitudes. You remember last week, Pastor Brenda talked about the Great Commission and Jesus talking about the Kingdom. And in the Great Commission, he says, teach them all that I have commanded. And it starts with this first block of teaching. The Sermon on the Mount, right? Life in the kingdom. What is that supposed to be like? See, Matthew here in the Gospel of Matthew is setting this up. Jesus went up to the mountainside to teach. That, that would brought the audience back to Moses going up to the mountainside and teaching. And Moses was teaching the people how to live in the promised land. Moses was teaching the people of God how to live amongst one another. Now, Jesus steps into the scene And he's not saying how to live in the promised land. He's saying this is how we live in the kingdom. He is setting up a new reality for them. And not just Israel, but everybody is invited to be a part of this kingdom. This sermon series could have been titled Jesus' Plan for a New World or the Upside Down Kingdom or the best sermon ever. Not not my best sermon ever, but Jesus' best sermon ever, right? The Sermon on the Mount. It's structural for all of his teaching on how to do life in the kingdom. A couple of the resources that I'm digging into um, for this series is one is by Dallas Willard, one of my favorite books, The Divine Conspiracy. Great teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, amongst other things. Um, sometimes hard to understand. A very much more accessible book by Sky Jatani entitled, What If Jesus Was Serious? And it's a book about the Sermon on the Mount. But in Willard's book, he asked this question. He says, Jesus is basically confronting these two basic questions that humans have been asking and face all the time. First is, what is the good life? Which is the good life, right? We know that life in God is the good life, but who is assured of this life? The Beatitudes tell us. The second question really is about the rest of the Sermon on the Mount that we'll carry on next week and who is truly a good person. The Sermon on the Mount is really about how to love your neighbor. In our faith, we get this cross dynamic, right? This vertical relationship to God. How do we love God? And this horizontal, how do we love our neighbor? And Jesus is concerned with both of these things. And the Sermon on the Mount helps us to understand that. So let's dig into this famous teaching. It'll be on the screen. It'll be in your bulletin, the Beatitudes. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all things, all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. God, we just continue to invite you into this service and into this time now. God, may we have ears to hear what you would like to say to each one of us through the unpacking of your word. God, I know that we all are coming from different places today, but we come here to worship you, to learn more about you, to, to dig into this teaching, God. Allow us to understand what you would have us learn today. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, firstly, the Beatitudes, if you are a follower of Jesus for very long, you probably know these Beatitudes. But if you are like me, you might misunderstand what they're about. I know for most of my Christian life, I either interpreted them myself incorrectly or have had them taught to me incorrectly, or I myself have talked, taught them with a limited understanding. And the last few months, I've really been able to dig into this text afresh and anew, and it's been challenging for me. Oftentimes, the Sermon on the Mount can be um, ignored as some crazy um, ideal way of living that is not accessible to us now, only in heaven. Or we can weaponize it. Maybe there's parts of the Sermon on the Mount that we don't struggle with, that we do more easily than others, and so we, we sort of hit people over the head with the parts that we do well, but ignoring the other parts that aren't so easy for us. So today, we kind of dig into the Beatitudes, though, and I've often seen it as this ethical ladder that we're supposed to be climbing. It's been presented at, if you are poor in spirit, then you will be blessed. It's this, if you do this, then God will give you this. And that's not what Jesus is doing here. The Beatitudes are not teachings on how to be blessed. The Beatitudes are Jesus saying, this is who is blessed. We don't have to seek out to be poor in spirit to obtain the blessing. Jesus is saying those that are poor in spirit are blessed. This is an important distinction to make. You might be a follower of Jesus here today and you read that list and you're thinking, I am not any of those things. Or you might be here and you're like, I can identify with some of those. And that's what we're going to unpack. What do we do with that if you're in either one of those camps today? See, Jesus is singling out cases that provide proof that the kingdom of God is available to such as these. The kingdom of God is available right now to everybody he is listing in these Beatitudes. See, if these Beatitudes are how-tos, then they cannot be good news for people. You mean, I have to become meek, I have to become mournful in order to be blessed. That's not what Jesus is saying here. They're not prescriptive. Jesus isn't prescribing how to be blessed, but rather describing who is blessed. See, Jesus turns upside down the world's expectations by saying those who are weak, those who are sad, those who are poor in spirit, or Luke uses the word just poor, those who are who I am blessing. 
That's not how the world works, but Jesus says, this is life in my kingdom. See, this is not a to-do list, but a good news list. Jesus is describing those who have the most to gain by the arrival of the kingdom. Those who are forgotten, those who are on the margins, those who life is hard have the most to gain by the arrival of his kingdom. He's not prescribing how you enter it. Jesus is saying, look at the authentic spirituality and joy of these people who are receiving my kingdom. Okay, so what does blessed mean? First, the word beatitudes is not in your Bible. It's not in the original text. It might be a subject heading. Beatitudes is actually the Latin translation of blessed. Okay, that's why they're called beatitudes, but they're not, they're not in the Greek, okay, just as a heads up. Now, there are two words for blessing in, in our, let's say, in the Greek. Um, the first is kind of what we do at the end of a service, where we are praying for God's favor upon us, right? That's one type of blessing. The type of blessing here is different, though. It's a state of well-being, of contentment, of good fortune. It's based on something that has already happened. These people are blessed because of what has already happened in their lives and in their hearts. It might be a little bit like if you were a child of Warren Buffett. You're blessed, right? You didn't do anything to become his child, right? This was just the state of being for you. You're blessed because of that position, and you'll be blessed as well in the future by what you'll receive as an inheritance. Jesus is saying these Beatitudes are already at work. The blessing is already at work, but it will be brought to fulfillment later as well. It shapes our heart condition. Okay? Does that make sense? If not, I apologize. See me after the service. <laughs> so who are these people that are blessed? See, if we go back to chapter 4, again, in the original text, there's no chapter breaks, there's no verse breaks. But we can think now Jesus is doing something different than chapter 5. But chapter 4, on your own, if you go back and read, these are the crowds gathered around Jesus, those who are demon-possessed, those who are sick, those who are grieving, those who are day laborers, those who are on the margins of society. Jesus looks at this whole crowd, and what does he say? Blessed are you. Blessed are you. They're the people that he is with in that moment. There are people that need his healing touch. There are people that need good news. People that the world is looking down on. This crowd is blessed because the kingdom of God is available to them. Now, in the ancient world, if you were doing well, you had a good job, you had family, you had offspring, if your crops were doing well, then you were considered blessed by God. If you didn't have any of those things, right? Your crops failed, your job went down the tubes, your relationships crumbled, you were not blessed, you were considered cursed by God. And that maybe hasn't changed too much today. We can look at people that are doing very well and say, you're blessed, and those that aren't say, you're not blessed. We can fall into that trap as well. And Jesus is saying this is not what he's saying here. See, if we're tempted to believe that if everything is going well, then you're blessed, and if not, you aren't blessed, what do we present to the world? 
What's our highlight reel on social media? Everything's great, right? Hashtag blessed, love my life, right? And yet that's not what Jesus is teaching here, is it? What if your life is not like that? We can begin to put up facades. We can begin to hide. We can feel ashamed of some of the more challenging things in our lives because we might judge others when they're going through those things, and we might judge ourselves. So we begin to hide. At Community Church, we value authenticity. We value being real. We value bringing that stuff that isn't so easy into the presence of God, into community, into life groups, so we can journey with one another through it. See, Jesus was blessing those in that crowd that day, and they were not hashtag blessed, but they were blessed by Jesus. He sees something in them that they cannot see for themselves. It's an upside-down list to how the world works, but it's good news exactly because it's upside-down. It means that no one is beyond God's blessing. No matter your life circumstance, you have not removed yourself from being able to be blessed by God. See, who is really blessed or not blessed is not determined by our circumstances our appearance, what we post on Instagram. Jesus in this passage tells us who is blessed. Dallas Willard talks about the kingdom of God being where what God wants done is done. And Jesus starts off this teaching on the Sermon on the Mount to say the reality in his kingdom is different and it is available to you and me right now. We can begin to live this way. Jesus is announcing that it is at hand, it is now, it is present, it is within our reach. This is what society can look like. This is what we can look like as believers. So let's unpack these different um, beatitudes as we go. So verse 3, the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The poor in spirit are blessed because the kingdom of God is available to them now in their spiritual poverty. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? When you're poor in spirit, you're aware of your own powerlessness, your own limitations, have you ever been in a powerless situation? Maybe an addiction. Maybe the job that you're in. Maybe a circumstance that was pressed upon you. Being poor in spirit allows us to realize we're powerless, that we have a need beyond ourselves. It allows us to set down any type of self-righteousness or ego or pride and to take up humility. Jesus also blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I've been in churches and have you know, grown up in churches where they'll talk about the Sunday service being the celebration service, right? The worship service being a celebration service where we need to be upbeat and energetic and focused on the victorious life in Christ. And, and that's not a bad thing, but what we hear from Jesus is that worship is more than just celebration. It's not just about those things. We have a book of worship in the middle of our Bible called the Psalms. And there is a place for mourning, for lamenting, 
of grieving, of being poor in spirit. The Psalms are the worship book of ancient Israel, and they're part of our worship book today. It says, those who are on the fringe, there's a place for you here to worship. You belong here. It's not just about celebration and being happy and being increasing in our happiness and joy all the time, right? Our worship, and Jesus says in this thing that blessed are you who mourn, for you will be comforted. Jesus welcomes you in to worship. And that's being real and authentic in our worship. Brenda was praying for those right now in the world, the refugees, those running for their lives, those whose life is very fragile. They belong in worship. Jesus welcomes them there. They don't have to be in a place of celebration. Those who are mourning a loss of relationship, mourning a job loss, seeing people struggle, you belong in worship, and God has a blessing for you in this place. The next verse says, Blessed are those who are meek, for they will inherit the earth. That was a good catch, by the way, there. I didn't drop that. For they will inherit the land or the earth. Jesus is picking up on this promise to the Hebrews about the promised land that they will go in and they will take the land, right? And Jesus had zealots in his day. The zealots said, we're going to take back the land from the Romans by force, by use of violence. And here Jesus is saying, actually, it is the meek who will inherit the land, right? It is not the powerful. It's not the might makes right. Jesus turns it upside down and says, it will be the meek. Jesus had those of his disciples that were zealots. He made a place for them to come near him, even though they didn't embody this beatitude. Now, meekness does not mean weakness, but I love this definition I saw. Meek means you don't take advantage of your position. You're not using people for your advantage. In the Psalms, the meek are contrasted with the wicked who take advantage of the poor. When you're meek, you don't take advantage of your position. You don't think, I could steamroll that person. I could take advantage of them. They don't know what to do in this situation. I'm stronger than them. I'm going to take advantage of them. God says, no, it's the meek who will inherit the land. He goes on in verse 6, hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is a, you know, a great definition of righteousness is right relationship with God. In the Old Testament, the word for righteousness is often also translated as justice. These things are connected. Justice is often related to how we treat other people. Righteousness, we might think more of our vertical relationship, and it's wonderful that it is the same word because both are connected in how God wants us to live out our lives, love God and love others as yourself. And Jesus says it's not those who have already arrived at righteousness, those who are always righteous that are blessed, but those who are hungering for it, those who are pursuing it, those who are on the journey for it will be blessed. And I think we are all on the journey for this. He says, you're going to hunger and thirst. The people of his, you know, we probably don't struggle with hunger or thirst like they would in the ancient world, right? We're probably never more than 150 meters from a 7-Eleven, you know, like almost anywhere in Hong Kong, right? We can get food, we can get drink, but that was not so easy for them. They would have known what this is like, this desire, this, this primal desire to have our thirst quenched and to have our hunger satisfied 
can be connected to how we should be desiring justice and righteousness in our world. Jesus connects this horizontal and this vertical, this relationship with himself and with one another. Passage goes on, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Mercy is this idea, there's two parts of it. There's a compassion that we have in our feelings, in our empathy, and the compassion is also connected to actions, right? We should know this in our hearts and our minds, and then we should put weight to it. We should be the hands and feet of Jesus. It's not just having a nice thought about somebody. It's taking that and stepping that into action. So Jesus says how we treat others is how we will be treated. Yesterday, I was driving back um, from an event, and I found myself stuck in the wrong lane, and there was a long line of cards, and I was in a lane where I got to skip most of the line and had to then get over. Now, I hate it when people do that, right? I'm like, oh, those cheaters, right? They're skipping this whole waiting and want to cut in at the last minute, but I was stuck in that position or I was going to miss my turn. I was in need of mercy. The first card did not give me mercy, right? Second one did and let me in, and I was so thankful for that. But then another car wants to cut in in front of me, right? I could have judged their motives, you know, but I had just received mercy. It was so much easier in that place to let the next car in, right? This mercy is something we can walk with in our ways that we do our relationships with one another. See, I think all of us, you know, believe that maybe we can stand before God blameless, right? Justified. But at the same time we do that, we might be mistreating those around us, those who are different, those who are in a different political party, different social class, a coworker that we don't like, those with different opinions, and we sever this relationship with God, with relationship with one another, thinking that they, they can be lived apart. And that is not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying these things come together. If you love me, then this is how you love other people. Jesus goes on and talks about the pure in heart, that they will see God with somebody who's pure in heart, what you see is what you get. There's an integrity there. There's a consistency. The outside matches the inside. There's no hidden agendas. You're not using other people. You don't have ulterior motives. Being pure in heart can also be a burden. You can become a perfectionist. You'll find errors in thinking and beliefs and practices and systems. It all stands out to you. And you're probably harder on yourself than you are on others. And yet the kingdom of God is open to you. You will see God. And when you see God, you will find what you have been looking for, that you are truly good enough, pure in heart. Next, peacemakers. They will be called children of God. This is not peacekeepers. This is not peace fakers. Um, these are people that step into often dangerous situations where they themselves could be accused, right? They're looking for solutions. They're looking to build unity, and you can be blamed by both sides. Peacekeeping can be costly. It can be painful. But how do we love others in the midst of conflict? This is why we're doing emotional, healthy relationships. How do we love others well? Last night, our Mosaic Life group was going through the first 
um, section on it. And in it, they're talking about how do you have a conversation sometimes about difficult things, and they start it with appreciation, right? And that's easy, you know, and not just appreciating the big things, but, you know, I appreciate, you know, you showing up, I appreciate you hosting us, I appreciate leading the study. And then the next thing is puzzled. Okay? Instead of when somebody does something you don't like, you don't say, why did you do that? I can't believe you would do that. We begin to fill in a na negative narrative. Instead, puzzled. I'm puzzled why you show up late every time we're supposed to meet. Right? It's a great word that invites curiosity. And then the next step was, um, I noticed and I prefer. Right? I noticed that you always show up late. Um, I'd prefer if you showed up on time. All right? And so we began having fun with this in our life group last night and carried it out through the mealtime using every opportunity to, to do this in a lighthearted way. And if you're not in a life group, get in a group. You know, loving other people is sometimes really hard, but uh, we want to help you take steps that are helpful in that. So Jesus was an ultimate peacemaker. He invited us into this process as, as well. Um, next, the persecuted. For living the right way, for doing the right thing, living this way can be difficult in our workplace, in your family, in our world, and you could be persecuted because of those things. You can also be persecuted because of your faith in Christ, and we have people in parts of the world that definitely are persecuted because of their beliefs and their following of Jesus. And Jesus steps into that and says, you are blessed. Now, this sermon is not a list of requirements, right? You don't have to seek out persecution, but rather it's a description of those who are around Jesus and what they are experiencing and his blessing upon them. When nobody else, when not the religious institutions, not the government, maybe not even their own families are saying you're blessed, Jesus says you are blessed. He's not saying your circumstances are blessed. But the way you stand before Jesus is blessed because of those circumstances. This sermon is not sort of a heroic you know, um, ethic, but more of a constitution, a way of being. So you can't live by the demands of this sermon as we unpack these over the next two and a half months in your own strength, in your own power. You need God's help for this, but you also need community. This is a teaching to a community of people. It's a communal way of being, and we need one another to do that. So on your, your seats there, you're going to see this card, and this is a prayer card. This is the Beatitudes. Because we need to shift our grid. We need to shift our way of thinking. And this week, I, I thought of this way to explain it. A couple weeks ago, I was shopping for jeans with Eric out at the outlet malls. Now I, and I'm wearing a pair of jeans today that I bought, yeah. And I was shopping with jeans. I have not shopped for jeans in a really long time. And I'm at American Eagle, and it is overwhelming how many different styles they have. So there's athletic, there's athletic slim, there's athletic extra slim, athletic straight. And that's just one category. And there were nine different categories. It took me forever to figure things out. The next week, I took Maya there. Now, this was women's jeans, which I had even less, you know, for my jeans, it's like waist size, waist, you know, length and color. That was it before coming to shop for jeans now. I take Maya, and she's like, okay, let's look at some jeggings. They've got regular jeggings. They don't have the word regular, though, just jeggings. 
Jagging's mom style. Jagging's super high waist. Jagging's curvy. And I'm like, Maya, I think we need some help from the assistant. And the assistant comes over and is helping us. And she's like, you might also want to try this other style, the 90s boyfriend cut. I was like, the 90s boyfriend cut? Who came up with these names? And then I saw a grid, one for men and one for women, laying out all the different types of genes. And I was like, ah, there's 54 types, by the way. This card is a grid for you that I want to challenge each one of you to pray daily through this entire Kingdom Now series. What will God do with that? I think he will change our thinking and our heart about who is blessed, about how to do this life together. We need repeated, this is swimming against the stream of culture on what it looks like to be blessed and who is God blessing so that's the transformation that our, our hearts and our minds can have. But also, there's an active part of our faith, right? You might be here today, and you look at this list, and you're like, that is me right now. I am one of these things, or maybe I am all of these things, and know that you are blessed. You might look at this list, and you're like, no, life, life is you know, pretty much okay right now. Well, God invites us to be a part of blessing those who are on this list. If you're not on this list, that means God will have you come around and be the hands and feet of Jesus for those that are. We have probably every week an outreach opportunity, a social justice opportunity from one of our ministry partners where we can be the hands and feet of people who are walking through very real situations that aren't uncomplicated for this. We invite people to be in community and life groups because chances are there's somebody in your life group that is walking through this right now and you can be that hands and feet. You can be that compassion. You can be part of that kingdom reality to those that you're in relationship for. And so my encouragement that during this Kingdom Now series is that we shift our thinking, we shift our minds, and we step into this new reality to be the hands and feet of Christ. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you for this challenging teaching that I know I often get wrong, both in my understanding of it and my actually enacting it, God. And I thank you that you are full of grace and mercy, God, but I can't get away from the challenge of it either. God, you're calling us to a way of being in this Sermon on the Mount, and I pray for your spirit to do a work in me, in our church, in this place, God, in your city. In your name, amen.